0: Thank you all for being here. We are actually starting a very brief two-part series on prayer that I'd like to call Praying Fearlessly. Praying Fearlessly. And just so you know, as we're beginning this series, there's so much to say about prayer, the importance of prayer, the role of prayer in the life of a believer. There's so much to say. We're barely going to scratch the surface. It is a topic that deserves a lot of time and a lot of thought, but we're just going to hit on it briefly for a couple weeks and I have a specific goal in this two-part series, and this goal is to encourage you. It's one of these disciplines, it's one of these practices, one of these things that those of us who are Christians are supposed to engage in, this practice, if you want to think of it as a practice, if you want to think of it as a discipline, whatever it is, something that we are commanded to do, something that we are supposed to do. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see how often Jesus, who was equal with God, who was one with Father God, who is the Son of God, how often Jesus spends his time in prayer, communing with Father God, it's an important thing. And like so many of these disciplines, so many Christian practices, it's something that we can overlook or minimize. Sometimes we feel like prayer is just so easy and just so simple, and sometimes when something is so simple, it doesn't feel like a challenge, and we just we kind of don't do it at all. And so this message is for all of you who are here today. Some of you in this room, you feel like, you know, I, I really, I don't do this prayer thing, and I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian. Or I'm new to Christianity, and I've never really done this before, and I don't know where to begin. If that's you, this message is for you. If you're somebody who's been doing this for a while, you know, you've been at this Christianity thing for a bit, you've been following Jesus, you've been trying to figure this out, you've been praying for a while, well, this message is also for you because I feel like all of us could use some help in taking that next step forward in our prayer life. Take a moment on that, Christians, and think about that. What does your prayer life look like now, right? There are these times, these seasons of life that we go through that are very intense, that are very challenging, and it just so happens that when we're really going through something, that's when we're most dialed in to prayer. Isn't that the case? When something tough is really going on. So what I'd love to do is be able to capture that intensity and that intentionality, even when things are going just swell, going just swell. I grew up in a church setting, and I grew up, my my parents were, were Christians, they were believers, and so... I was told to pray, and that's something that we did in worship service, and that's something that we did in Sunday school, and, and we said our prayers before meals, and they were all sounded kind of the same. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the food you've given us to eat. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get it done, right? That's how it goes, right? God is great. God is good, and we thank him for our foot, right? Isn't that how it goes, something like that? Not quite. That one never rhymes, so I don't understand. What is that? But little prayers. You'd say these things. When I was uh, a teenager, I went to a, a Christian retreat, a church retreat, and it was the beginning of the treat, retreat, and um, one of the, um, the people who was there, one of the Christians spoke up, and they, they gave us a little prayer, a little prayer time to start our weekend out, and they prayed, God, be present with us during this weekend. And so after that prayer time was finished, uh, somebody in the group spoke up and said, you know, technically, you don't need to ask God for his presence when you pray, because God's already present with us. I was thinking, well, yeah. I guess that's technically true, but is that something that's really worth correcting? You know what I mean? I just felt a little bit bad for the prayer in that situation. To just like to take that step and offer to pray in front of people, which is kind of an awkward thing, you got to admit. And then to have somebody else, some other Christian say, you know, technically you're praying wrong. Come on, man. Give me a, you know, give me a break. And I feel like sometimes things like that, they kind of, they kind of make us a little bit timid or a little bit fearful. Well, maybe I'm, I'm praying wrong. Listen, guys, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to pray wrong. I was corrected in my prayer once upon a time when Lily was maybe three or four years old, right? She was at a Christian preschool, and in their Christian preschool, they didn't say amen, they said amen, all right? And so in my own household, I'm saying a prayer, I say amen. No, Dad, it's amen. What are you doing? I guess you would know, right? But I think we should be careful about that because we can become we can become really critical. I, I don't think that prayer is something that we should be really critiquing. I don't think it is. Just have that opportunity. You know, in my last church, you know, was was made a pastor, and you know, here I am. I graduated Bible school, and I'm a pastor in this church, and, and one of my jobs was on Sunday morning on the early service. By the way, we had an 8 o'clock service in that church. I'm like, what? If that is way too early for a worship service, right? We're all still asleep. God's not even awake yet. What are we doing at 8 a.m., right? So anyway, one of my jobs was to pray, for the congregation. And so like I said, graduate of Bible school and here I am as a pastor and I felt this like, this is kind of awkward praying in front of people. I've gotten used to it with time, right? It was a little bit of an awkward thing because our prayer lives, when they're developed, can be a very personal thing. And you're having a conversation with, with God. This is the one that knows you better than you know yourself. And to try and bring that conversation public can be a It'd be a little bit of a, a learning curve to try to figure that out. And so really to clarify, my goal in this series is not, I want you to become better prayer out louderers, right? You know what I mean? That's not really it. It's just I want you to really give in to your prayer life and not be afraid to pray. And fortunately for us, Jesus has given us instructions on how to do this thing. There is this thing that, that has been called the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Disciples' Prayer because it is a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. It's there in your bulletin. Now, what we're looking at is from uh, Matthew chapter 6, and so this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mountain. The Sermon on the Mountain is this wonderful, fantastic, very practical that, that, uh, sermon that Jesus gives to his followers, and in the midst of this sermon, he teaches them how to pray. Now, Luke's gospel records this scenario a little bit differently. In fact, Luke's gospel has the disciples of Jesus actually ask him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? You know, John the Baptist, he had his disciples, and John taught his disciples how to pray. Would you teach us how to do this? You know, maybe for some of us who are Christians, this has become a thing that's like, I feel like I'm supposed to know how to do this. And maybe years have gone by, and you've never really asked. Like, well, it's okay to ask. It's okay to feel like, well, I'm not exactly sure how to do this. And like I said, fortunately for us, Jesus does teach us how to pray. Let's take a look at this passage It's in your bulletin. I'm going to take a look at this Word by word here says, pray then in this way. This is a model for us. Our Father. Let's start right there. Now, how do you start your prayers? Dear God. Our Father. Heavenly Father. You can start prayers in a lot of different ways, but look what Jesus says. It's our, as in not just His, but our Father. That role of Father, that term Father, this is how God wants us to relate with him. He is our heavenly father. He is our father. He wants us to see him that way. And so to remember who you're speaking to, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. There's a word you only use in church, right? You know, Oh, that was a really hallowed day we had. No, no it talks like that. Hallowed. What does that mean? I said the Lord's prayer in worship, like every Sunday, as a kid, with not knowing what "hallowed" means. "Hallowed" means holy, the holiest of holies, holy, holy, holy. So remember who you're talking to, Father God, our Father who is in heaven. Your name is the most high. Your name is hallowed. Your name is holy. And the first request we ask for is Your kingdom come. Now the concept of kingdom, all throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is absolutely. Fascinating, the concept of kingdom and this acknowledgement that all the kingdoms of this earth are flawed and broken and on some levels corrupt and unjust. Every single government that's man-made has its problems, right? That's an understatement, right? Every single government, every single kingdom, and yet there is a perfect kingdom, the kingdom of God. You know, we read about this idea of when Jesus comes back, he is is the king over all things, and he returns to be the king, and he is the government, and it's perfect under his rule. And what Jesus encourages, what he teaches us to pray for is, God, your kingdom, your perfect way, your perfect justice, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. The will of Father God, the desires of Father God are executed perfectly in heaven. And Jesus says, this is what we should be praying for before we get to, well, here's all the things that I want you to do for me, God. It's like, here's all the stuff I'm going through, God. No, let your kingdom come and let your way, let your will be done. See, that's a bold thing to pray. When we get to the evening of the Last Supper, and we get to that night, and after that Last Supper, Jesus, before he's arrested, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he's there with his disciples he says, I'm, you just guys stay here. i need to talk to Father God. And he prays this prayer over and over and over. Three times he prays this prayer up to God. And Jesus knows what he's about to endure. Not just the crucifixion, but he knows his followers are about to flee. He knows he's about to be flogged, severely beaten. He knows he's about to be tortured. And he prays to Father God. He says, God, if we can just do this some other way, if the salvation of humankind can be accomplished in some other way, please, Take this cup away from me. Take this suffering away from me. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. But then he says, yet yeah, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. If we just prayed, friends, if we just prayed, God, do my will, do my will, we would never experience any trials, would we? we never go through anything difficult, Right? Think about the events in your life that have made you the person you are today. You have gone through trials and suffering. God's will is difficult at times. And so to pray this prayer boldly, God, your will be done. You know, sometimes we Christians don't pray, God, your will be done. Or if we do say these words, we don't mean it because we're afraid. What does it look like for God's way to be executed perfectly in your life? especially when we're living in some kind of a sin, some kind of a sin issue, if we're doing something we know is not God's way. For us to say, no, God, your way, your will be done. Your desires be executed in my life perfectly, just as your desires are done, are executed perfectly in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. See, that's a phrase we've talked about recently. In our last series where we talked about money, we talked about finances, and we looked at this proverb by a man named Agur. Remember Agur's, his prayer? He says, God, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. This is what he prayed. So this goes back to the time, again, of Moses, where God provided manna from heaven. He provided bread from heaven, and it was only enough for one day at a time. Do you remember this? Some of you know this story? right the israelites they were given this manna from heaven this bread from heaven and they could only take what was theirs for the day and if they tried to save it up it would spoil this concept of being reliant on god for our daily bread we keep in mind that jesus and his disciples were in fact homeless and completely dependent on support from other people i mean that that was it that's what it was like so it's like father god give us what we need to survive our literal bread, something to eat today. They were utterly dependent on Father God to provide. What is it that you need today? Is it something to eat? Is it encouragement? Uh, whatever it is to be able to say to God, give me, God. And give us all what we need for this day. Maybe I need to be corrected in this day. Maybe I need to be challenged in this day. Maybe I need your peace in this day. But God, you know what I need in this day? And give me what I need for this day. What would it be like to start your day right now? You know, you don't know. You never know. You never know what's going to happen over the course of the day. What kind of news you're going to get. What kind of phone calls you're going to receive. What kind of disasters are going to happen, right? You don't know. You start You say, God, give me whatever it is I need to face the unique challenges of this day. Give me that. To so go to God and ask for that daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Now, some of you um, grew up in a, like, going to church and all that, and you said the Lord's Prayer maybe on a weekly basis. And there are uh, three different terms that are translated here from the original Greek, okay? What Jesus is saying, because Jesus, uh, contrary to popular opinion, he did not speak English, all right? And so in, in the New Testament, it's written in Greek, so we have different translations of what Jesus said here. And so some of you may have grown up in churches where they said, forgive us our trespasses. but okay, see some heads nodding. Sure, sure. Some of you may have grown up in churches where they said, forgive us our sins. But all these terms make sense, right? Forgive us our sins. Sin is when we do things that defy God's will, defy God's way to engage in activities or thoughts or attitudes, something that defies what God wants for us, and to go before God and say, forgive us, forgive me for my sins. Now, we are a church that's a little over 10 years old, and some people have accused us of being a modern church, which I don't think we are, you know, we're trying to go back to the original intention of what church was always supposed to be. Um, we do not do a lot of rituals in our church, and that's not because I'm anti-ritual, but I am anti-empty rituals. So here's the problem. Sometimes when we say this prayer, not pray it, but say it and recite this prayer, we're just going through the motions and not really thinking about what we're saying. Yes? And so if we're going to say this prayer, if we're going to actually pray this prayer with intentionality, when we get to this point, forgive us our sins, that means to pump the brakes and actually say, God, forgive me for These specific sins in my life, sins of commission, sins of omission. You know the difference, sins of commission, things that I've done, sins of omission, things I know that I should have done that I did not. Forgive me to take that moment and realize, hang on a second, I failed to live up to your standards, God. Forgive me for these specific sins in my life. So the one word is sins, the other word is trespasses, right? Uh, Forgive us our trespasses. I like that terminology. Um, I literally think about, you know, jumping somebody's fence and being on their lawn. Get off my lawn. You're trespassing, right? No trespassing. But that's a great way to think about what sin is. You know, God has given us these boundaries to live within, and we trespass. We go beyond those boundaries for us to say, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses. But the word that's here in your bulletin is debts. And I think of all the possible ways to translate the original Greek, this is the best terminology. Forgive us our debts. Throughout the Gospels, we see this concept of sin being tied to debt, to owing something. Right? Jesus teaches this parable about an unmerciful servant. There is a king, and this, this servant owes the king all kinds of money that he could never pay back, and the king forgives the debt. And then this servant goes out, and somebody else owes him a little bit of money, and he's like, you got to pay me this money back, and if you don't pay me this money back, then I'm going to throw you in jail. And word makes it back to the king. He's like, wait a minute, I forgave you all this. Can't you forgive your fellow servants? So this idea of of sin being a debt that is owed, a debt that needs to be repaid, you see that, that theme all throughout the Gospels through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sin as debt, something that is owed. Think of it from the other perspective. When someone has sinned against you, when someone has wronged you, don't you feel as if they owe you something, right? You owe me an apology. You owe me. you got to make right what you made wrong. And So that, that idea of debt is kind of a, yeah, it's a financial term, but being owed something, I think it makes a lot of sense to say, God, forgive us our debts, cancel our debts, to acknowledge we owe you something that we cannot pay back. God forgive that debt is a beautiful way to ask for forgiveness. On the cross before Jesus says, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." His last words, often translated as "it is finished," it's actually one Greek word. It's tetelestai. The last thing Jesus says is tetelestai, which directly translated does not mean it is finished. Telestai is a financial term, it is an accounting term, and it means the debt is paid in full. What Jesus accomplishes on the cross is paying off the debt that we owe to God. So there you go again with this idea of sin as something we owe to God. And So to be able to say, forgive us our debts, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven... Our debtors forgive us as we have forgiven other people. Ooh, that gets tricky, doesn't it? Man, it's easy for me to go before God and say, God, I know I've messed up. I know I've defied your way. I know I've defied your your will. Some little ways, no, man, there's a big way. But please forgive that debt. Yeah, but what what about my heart? Have I forgiven the people who have sinned against me? Have I forgiven my debtors? Stop and think that through. You know, we've ended the passage in your bulletin with verse 13. But if you go on to the next verse, in fact, I challenge you to do that. You know what Jesus says? He talks more about this forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive others, then your sins will not be forgiven. Whoa. Oh, did you really mean that, Jesus? That's tough. This whole forgiveness thing, this is important to God. He wants us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Hey, you want to be forgiven by God? Then you've got to forgive other people when they sin against you. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. If you've been seriously wronged, I'd, I'd wager a guess to say that everybody in this room has been seriously wronged by somebody. But to be able to look at that person and say, you know what? I'm canceling that person's debt. This person has wronged me, but they don't owe me anything anymore. They don't owe me making it right. They don't owe me an apology. I'm making a choice to cancel a debt. That's what forgiveness is. And so we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. Don't put us in situations, God, where we're going to be tempted, where we might make the wrong choice, where we might sin. Don't put us in situations like that. Another way to maybe translate this that's a little bit better would be lead us away from temptations. This is another thing that sometimes if we're going to be sincere about it, that we Christians are afraid to pray because we put ourselves in situations where we're being tempted. Say, no, 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 God, don't Don't allow me to go there. Lead me out of temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, depending on how you translate that verse there from Greek into English. It could be deliver us from the evil one, okay? Not just deliver us from the concept of evil, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, all throughout both Old Testament and New, we are taught about the fact that there is an evil one. There is a deceiver. There is Satan. There is the devil. This is a real, real entity, And we look at the difference of God's mission and what God wants to accomplish and what Jesus came on this earth to do, to rescue, to save, to deliver. And there is an enemy that is against not only Jesus, but he's against us as well. In fact, at the Last Supper, Jesus confirms this. He says, it's not just the enemy of God, but but Satan is the enemy of us, right? Peter affirms this as well in his letters, that we have an enemy in this world that does not want to keep us on God's path, that wants to derail us to be able to say, God, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the plans and the attempts of the evil one. And then we have this statement. You can see it's in the brackets there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The reason that statement is in brackets is because the earliest manuscripts of the uh, Gospel of Matthew do not include that phrase. And so it's possible that uh, those words were not in the original teachings of Jesus, and so just be aware of that. There's only a couple of occasions in all of Scripture where you have a discrepancy in the manuscripts, which is a miracle in and of itself, that there's only a couple discrepancies, but this is one of those verses there where we're not exactly sure if Jesus said, for yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm not sure that there should be any controversy over that statement, because it's, you know, we're not, really giving any kind of profound teaching there. It's just a nice way and a wonderful way and an appropriate way to close a prayer. And we close it with the word amen, which means so be it. And so here you have a model for how to pray. And here is what I would like to do this morning. I would like for us as a congregation, not just to say the Lord's Prayer together, not just to recite the Lord's Prayer together, but to pray the Lord's Prayer together. This is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look and we're going to read it off this page. And guess what? Some of us are probably going to mess this up, right? Because we're used to saying it a certain way, yes? So we might say sins instead of debts, So we might say trespasses or whatever it is. But guess what? We're not going to be afraid to mess it up, right? You can say the wrong words, you know? God's not there, oh, you said it wrong. No, that's not how God works. That's not how it works. We can pray this fearlessly. We're going to go through this. But before we do, let's take a moment now. I want to encourage you. Look through these words. Think through these phrases like, your will be done. Is there something going on in your life where you know if you let God have his way, if you let God's will be done, you would have to change certain behaviors. You'd have to make certain sacrifices. Is there something that comes to mind where you're not letting God have his way in your life? Think about this whole thing of forgiveness. Now, the teachings of Jesus, like, here it is. If you want to be forgiven, you also, you have to forgive those who sin against you. Is there something in your heart, somebody that you have not forgiven yet? I know forgiveness is hard, but it's essential to think on these words to deliver us from the evil one. Take a moment now, just read these words silently to yourself. Take a look. verse 11, give us this day, our daily bread. What is it you need in this day? And so here's what we're going to do, church. And some of you have been nervous about this since I said we're going to recite something together, right? We're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to start with the beginning of verse 9, and then we're all going to jump in for the Our Father. Got it? All right, let's pray together. Pray then in this way. Amen. And that, friends, is how to pray. When you go before God, think of this as a model. And you can pray these exact words or you can just use this as a template for organizing your thoughts. Go before God. Recognize who you're addressing. Recognize His majesty. He is hallowed. His name is holy and most high. And speak to Him and ask first for His will to be accomplished in your life. And then seek that forgiveness and seek to forgive others. I'd like to throw in a challenge to you all today, and I know how it works when a pastor throws out a challenge. It's normally one of those things that you kind of forget about by the closing song, and then you go on with your life. Here's the challenge. It's a simple challenge, but it's important. I want to challenge you not just to say, not to recite, but to actually pray the Lord's prayer for one week, for one week, every day for a week until we meet again next Sunday, and guess what? You've already done it day one. How about that, right? So let's keep this streak going. You can take this bulletin with you. You can put it in your pocket. You can put it on, take a picture of it, put it on your phone, whatever it is. But I want to encourage you to take some time every single day for one week to pray your way through the Lord's Prayer. Do you need to say these exact words? No. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. What it's about is intentionality. To have that time with Father God. To focus on, okay, here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking for. Here's who I'm addressing. To really go through that process of forgiveness. Because that's a big part of the Lord's Prayer. To seek forgiveness and also realize you need to forgive others. And so I'm throwing the challenge out there. I'm not going to ask you to stand up if you're going to make the commitment. But I'm throwing the challenge out there. To pray this for one week. How is your prayer life right now? How would you benefit from engaging in this simple discipline for one week? Here's what we discover about prayer. That prayer changes things. I've said that before. Prayer changes things. Sometimes prayer changes our circumstances. Sometimes it doesn't. But prayer, when we're intentional about it, prayer will always change the prayer. er So I encourage all of us, To take our next step forward in engaging in this very important, very simple, and very basic practice of speaking to Father God, of engaging in prayer. Let me pray for us now. Father God, we thank you for giving us audience. We thank you that you have allowed us to enter into your throne room, to speak with you, and Father God, we acknowledge that, that by our own strength and by our own accomplishments, we are not worthy to commune with you. And yet, because of your mercy, your love, your grace, and your compassion, you have granted us access to you. Father God, I pray for all of us that you would allow us to take that next step forward in our prayer life, and maybe this is something that we've never done. And if, if that's the case, God, just let us take that first step in speaking with you Father God, we, th- we think about how important communication is in a relationship, and that's what we want, God, as a relationship with you, not just to know you as a concept, but to know you as who you are, to know you as our Father, to know you and to be known by you. So, Father God, we thank you for allowing us to speak with you, and I ask that you would be with each one of us. Let us prioritize our prayer lives, and let us take that next step forward in prayer. Praying. I ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.